We spend a lot of time worrying about national politics, and it's absolutely important. But when you come down to what affects you and the rest of us in our daily lives, you really need to pay more attention to your local governments. Tax policy wonkery dead ahead, but stay tuned. This is something you probably didn't know about and may well affect you, yes you, every time you pay your property taxes. This is Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. I'm Nancy Derringer, Communications Director for the Research Council, and in this podcast, we look at Michigan through a policy lens. Our discussions here are informed by our 103 years of experience doing nonpartisan, fact-based research on policy issues. We hope this podcast will serve as another way for the public to access our work, which is, as always, free and available to all at our website, crcmich.org. Today, we'll be discussing something called ad valorem special assessments. Ad valorem, it's a Latin term, and it means basically proportional to value. Your property taxes are ad valorem, which means the owner of a mansion on a three-acre piece of ground pays more than his neighbor in a bungalow on a quarter acre. You know this. But you may not know about special assessments, which are a local government financing tool we'll be looking at more deeply in this podcast. My guest today is Eric Lufer, president of the Research Council. Welcome from down the hall. (laughs) It's nice to get back and share our research. Yes, okay. So we are calling this particular piece of research a distinction without a difference. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so we have two different means of collecting revenue from property owners, the property tax that everyone is familiar with that is the most commonly used tool in Michigan for local governments to raise revenues, and it's based on the value of the property. Uh, Since 1994, we've messed with that a little bit. but um, And then we have this thing called a special assessment, and that was meant as a way to share the cost of a infrastructure improvement with the properties that are close to it and benefit from it. So when you put in a road, it doesn't affect everyone. It affects the properties. Uh, attached to that road or sidewalks or drains or if you have a dam then there's the both the people who now have lakeside property as well as those people downstream that are saved from flooding on a regular basis so those are the properties that benefit and the special assessments are a way to recoup some of the cost and share the cost with those people that benefit the most but since the 1950s state law has sort of bastardized this idea and begun to allow local governments to uh, use these special assessments to raise revenue for general government services, specifically public safety. Okay. So, yeah, as you said, um, special assessments were originally intended to be used for infrastructure that doesn't benefit an entire taxing district evenly. So, I mean, you mentioned, you know, some roads, dams. You know, I keep thinking, since so many of our... um, 
rural areas have become suburban in, you know, the last 20, 30 years. I'm thinking of like sidewalks in a subdivision, um, agricultural drains in a township that includes a rural area and a, you know, a settled suburban area. Um, those are kind of vague examples, but they were special. That's why we call these special. And yes. presumably they were temporary. I mean, once the infrastructure was paid off, the assessment could theoretically go away. Um, but as you said, state law changed a while back to allow them to be used more broadly. And what effect did that have? So at first it was slow. We can go back to the 1980s and there were just a, a small number of townships that were taking advantage of this, a few maybe small cities and, and villages. But over time it has grown such that 11% of our local governments, mostly townships, but some cities uh, and villages are using these there's now 297 of them uh, throughout, uh, spread throughout Michigan. It's, it, there's a lot of use in Southeast Michigan, but it's not exclusive to Southeast Michigan. It's just, that's where we have a lot of sprawl. That's where we have a lot of charter townships able to tax. I put up the air quotes here, they're taxing at low rates. But when you look at the bill, it is substantial and compar comparable to the cities around them. Um, so it's a statewide problem, and it's becoming more and more common, and that's why we thought it was important to redo the research that we've done in the past and draw attention to this and uh, encourage our lawmakers to put an end to it. Okay. Um, you mentioned townships, charter townships. Um, these are the local government units that are most likely to rely on special assessments, right? It is, they are, yes. Okay, and it's because they have a statutory limit to how much they can tax, and I'm putting up the air quotes right. now, but no limit on how much they can collect through special assessments. Yeah, it enables them to... Um, provide municipal services, which can be very expensive when you start poli providing police and fire services with the equipment and the, the amount of personnel, um, and doing it in such a way that it sort of clouds how it's being financed. Um, a lot of these places, but for these special assessments, would have hard choices to stay a charter township or to think about becoming a city and, and the greater authority that comes with that, they sort of like the bucolic, serene idea of being a township and, and big lawns and all that type of thing, and a city denotes something more urban and, and right. you know confounding. So they would love to stay a township, um, and they need to find a way to right. do the finances to stay that way. Yeah, I mean, some of these chartered townships are effectively suburban cities by another under operating under a different rubric here and so if you um you know and and people who who have moved out from maybe closer to a city into a charter township they don't want to give up the things that they liked about city life like having a non-volunteer a professional fire department or you know um their own police force that responds more quickly than say a sheriff's deputy might if they truly lived in kind of how we originally uh, envision townships to being. So um, so you can see how that happens. Now, those of us who understand how Michigan collects property taxes can see why these instruments, these special assessments, would appeal to local governments um, who were 
or are trying to stay afloat after the property values collapse and the um, financial crisis in the last decade. We, we had that a while back. So let's talk a little bit about the unique circumstances that pertain here in Michigan and why these instruments became more popular, particularly in the last decade. So Michigan, again, I started talking about the commonality of the property taxes, the primary source of revenue for local governments. And over time, there is, you know, as that grows in use, there's a need uh, by the citizens and by state government to put the brakes on property taxes in certain ways. So long ago, they've put in uh, maximum tax rate. So if you're in a city, the charter says, can only say up to 20 mils of taxation. And a mill is a dollar of tax for every $1,000 of value. So uh, a city at 20 mills, villages, uh, depending on how you're organized, either 12 and a half or 20, charter townships at 10 mills, and, and then general townships uh, much lower than that. So you have these tax rate limits. The special assessment doesn't apply to that. So you can go as high as you want, do as much as you want. In the 1970s, we tried to keep people from being taxed out of their homes with something called the Headley Amendment to our state constitution that says if the property tax base is growing faster than the rate of inflation, then we have to notch the tax rate down so that the net result is an inflationary increase. Applies to property taxes, doesn't apply to these ad valorem special assessments. We have things called Truth in taxation applies to property taxes, not to special assessments. So we put in all these means of reining in and controlling the property tax, and these ad valorem special assessments fly alongside doing the same thing, but none of those limits apply to them. Right. And in the 70s, I mean, the Headley Amendment made a great deal of sense. I mean, we had the baby boom buying their first houses. Property values were skyrocketing, and being priced out of your own home by your rising property tax bill was a very real possibility. Um, and so, but then what happens when property values decline as they did in the 2000s? Yeah, so, you know, we, we haven't had enough time and the data really isn't there to know exactly why so many more local governments are doing this. But there is coincidence that the number of governments using this tool skyrocketed at the same time we went through the Great Recession, they call it, the period in the 2007 to 2009, when our economy was hit so hard and local government finance just became such a problem. Uh, so local government leaders, they're um, you know, flexible, they'll roll with it, they'll figure out ways to do the things and provide services that their citizens expect, and this is one of the means they found to do that. They, um, they are able to tax without calling it a tax, find the revenue they need external to the property tax, and it's all within the law. We've, But what I think you didn't touch on yet is what happened in the early 2000s was property values fell, as somebody who bought in 2005, I felt this very acutely. Um, and property taxes fall with the value of your home, but they can only recover at the rate of inflation. Or um, was it 3%, whichever is less? It's, it's, 
Inflation or 5%. Or 5%. We've never been close to 5%. Okay, the, so... The 25 years of the Proposal A. In a couple of years, my property tax bill fell by about 50%, but it's only inched up since then. Right. And so when you have a situation where you're trying to keep the lights on at City Hall and keep the police um, employed and everything else, um, sometimes you need... You know, there's only so much cutting you can do. So you need something like this special assessment to, to do. Well, that's what the that's the argument that these townships and and other local governments have been using. Yeah. Um, and we would say we have a broken municipal finance system. Let's fix that system instead of putting thumbs in the dike and using this duct tape and bailing wire to try to keep the system afloat. Right. Let's fix the system. Okay. Yeah. And I think we've, you know, maybe in this discussion so far, we've made special assessments sound kind of sinister or sneaky and they, and they're not, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're drowning and somebody throws you, um, you know, a life ring, you're going to grab it. I mean, and I think that's what's, what's happened in a lot of these local. Yeah. I don't cast blame on the local governments that are using this. This is in state law. It is perfectly legitimate for them to use it. We just think it's bad law. Right. That should be changed and and made to conform to the purpose that special assessments were created for long ago in in British rule and brought over to America. Um, We have a property tax. Let's use the property tax the right way. Or let's find other taxes to fund local governments. Let's not skew this law in such a way to to skirt the property tax limitations that exist in state law. Okay. So this is part of our <clears throat> the Research Council's broader mission to, um, shall we say, um, Im- improve the financing of local government, make it a little more straightforward, a little more transparent, and restore a little bit of the... Of the um, power or the protection to local taxpayers. Right. Ultimately, it's the taxpayers that fund government, and they have come to expect through law and the Constitution that there's a, there's a balance between the need of government and the ability of the taxpayers to pay for it. And um, those limits should mean something. Right. You know, they're there for a purpose, and let's not circumvent them. Let's not ignore them. Uh, let's find a system that works the way it should. Okay. All right. That's great. Well, thank you, Eric. I really do appreciate this. All right. And now you are the smartest person on your block about the differences and distinctions between ad valorem special assessments and property taxes. But before we wrap this up today, we're going to bounce over to our Lansing office via Skype for a quick chat with one of our researchers on Michigan's topic A of the moment. See if you can guess what that might be. Joining me now is researcher Jordan Newton, who uh, recently did a blog for crcmich.org on a topic that we are all familiar with. However, focusing on an aspect that perhaps we haven't really thought too much about. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you for having me. Okay. Well, so we've all been um, told for some months now, actually quite longer than that, um, that the state and uh, federal highways in our uh, st- in Michigan are in terrible shape and will require uh, more than two billion dollars a year to um, to improve them, and that's kind of the debate that's going on in Lansing. But you pointed out something that uh, those of us who drive in and out of our own communities um, know, but 
but maybe have not considered, which is that the local county and local roads are in terrible shape as well, and they will require another breathtaking number to fix. Could you brief us on that? Yeah, so part of the issue has been that the state is the state roads, those operated by MDOT, are the only ones that people have really had a concrete estimate for how much it would take to fix. Uh, recently, the County Road Association came out with a report that put an estimate on what their road funding uh, needs would be to reach similar goals to what MDOT uses for federal highway operated road or federal highway aid roads and not a, a lower goal for non-federal aid roads. And the number that they came up with uh, kind of puts into perspective that the $2.5 billion that people have been talking about for road funding might not get us as far as people think that it would. <laughs> well, that's depressing. And what is the County Road Association's number? Uh, the County Road Association number is $2 billion to get county roads that doesn't include those uh, maintained by cities and villages or by MDOT uh, to get them to their condition goals. So the governor's figure for state for the state roads is $2.5 billion, and the county's uh, number is $2 million. That's in addition to $2.5 billion, right? Right. So it's, it's not necessarily in addition. Uh, the director of MDOT said that using the 90% bar that was used in the early 2000s, uh, it would take $1.5 billion a year to get uh, state-maintained roads to that 90% goal. So that's in addition to that 1.5 and then whatever cities and villages need. The problem is, is cities and villages do not have a typical reporting requirement for uh, roads that aren't eligible for federal aid. Uh, it's the same with counties, but the counties came together and created a data set with that information. Uh, the cities have not, cities and villages have not done that yet. Okay, so we are um, we are somewhere then uh, north, well north of the two point five billion that the governor has talked about to get all of the roads in Michigan into something approaching uh, better shape, right? Yeah. So, and that also includes a very specific goal. That's ninety percent of. Uh, federal highway aid eligible roads at 90% good or fair condition, which uh, that's using the rate, the standardized rating system. So a fair road is still in, you know, very good condition to most drivers. Uh, and then 60% of non-federal aid roads, these are mostly the ones that are outside of houses and are, you know, very local. They don't have a lot of commercial traffic. They don't have a lot of uh, non-residential traffic uh, to 60% good and fair condition. Right. Okay. So, and, and I think a lot of us, um, depending on where we live, um, are, <laughs> are pretty disenchanted with the state of our local roads as well. I live in a suburb of Detroit and uh, my street was repaved uh, four years ago um, but it was a moonscape before that, and it, it required a bond um, in order to do that improvement. Um, several other roads in the immediate vicinity were also rebuilt during that time, but now the bond has been exhausted. Um, we're still we're going to be paying it back for many more years, but there are still quite a few local roads that need to be fixed, and 
there's a question as to how much tolerance um, local taxpayers have for for being asked to to pay more. So I mean, it's it just seems like it's an it's almost a bottomless uh, problem that you can just you can just keep bailing, and I don't know that you're ever going to get to the to uh, a solution for them. And another part of it is that these local agencies, your county road commissions, your cities and villages that actually maintain those local roads, don't have a lot of options to raise revenues. Uh, primarily, they get money from the state. Outside of that, they either have to use the property tax, which is used for general operating revenue for these local governments. And in a couple of cities, you have the option of the city income tax. But Outside of that, locals don't have the kind of revenue-raising ability that they would in other states, like having a local option sales tax or having a local fuel tax or local registration fees that can help support their road budgets. Here, it's you get your money from the state, and then anything else you have to supplement from the property tax, which has a different appetite than something that would be, say, like a local fuel option fuel tax, where it wouldn't necessarily be $0.45 cents to uh, increase that, but it would be something that the locals could determine that might be more palatable for local taxpayers. Right. And that's an issue that we've drawn attention to um, many times at the Research Council, which is the lack of... Um, local autonomy to impose or to ask taxpayers whether they want some of these levies to um, to fix things up in their immediate neighborhoods. I mean, we you mentioned the local income tax, but there are only a few cities that are authorized to levy those, and so um, so you end up with you know the problem that we're talking about now, which is you know a lot of a lot of problems that are very close to home, um, but no solution that can be. Um, agreed upon close to home as well. Exactly. And ultimately, I don't think people unnecessarily know or even really care who maintains the roads that they drive on on a day-to-day basis. They just want to get them in better condition. Right. And so I think it's going to take a bit of a holistic approach in trying to figure out, you know, how are we going to move forward with improving the way that we, you know, have fun this system and improving the way that the system operates. Okay. So on that um, depressing note, I understand that you got a flat tire last week <laughs> on a puddle. It was not on a local road, but um, it was it was in a parking lot, right? Yeah, it was. You know, it's Michigan when rain covers the the street, you can't really see them some of the time, and uh, just kind of blew a tire on it. Um, but it's no different than. You know, the, it's the same conditions that the local roads and every road basically is facing that, uh, you know, the conditions where with uh, increased weather uh, pressures with other stress factors on it. And so it's, you know, the same type of pothole you see everywhere. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And, you know, we talk about the freeze-thaw cycle and we are knockwood blessedly passed that for 2019 at least for this part of 2019 however um it's you know some of these gully washing rains have done uh serious damage to um to roads throughout the state you know without without the freeze factor so you know we've got we have our work cut out for us and a big bill to pay yep yeah okay all right well thanks jordan um i have a wonderful day and uh watch the puddles you drive through. 
<laughs> Thanks. You okay. too. Bye. And that will do it for this edition of Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. Remember, the council operates as a public resource, and all of our papers, along with blogs, op-eds, and other resources, are available for download on our website, crcmich.org. We operate as a nonprofit, thanks to Michigan's corporations, foundations, and generous individuals like you. If you'd like to make a donation, go to our website, crcmich.org, and click on the contribution button on the homepage. We also welcome feedback, which you can send via email to crcmish at crcmish.org. I'm Nancy Derringer, and until next time, I leave you with this observation by our founding president, Lent Upson. The right to criticize government is also an obligation to know what you're talking about. <laughs>